Welcome to Leadership Works with Chris and Karen Conley. This is Karen and Chris and I are in studio. So glad that you have joined us for this podcast. If you haven't already, go to iTunes. We'd love for you to subscribe so these can come to you automatically. If you would like, write a review. But today we have an opportunity to give you a review. We just experienced our first Leadership Works conference and are so excited to tell you about it. Yeah, the conference was an incredible success. We're so excited about it everyone that participated live, but also what we want to do today is give you a recap, a highlight via podcast, also leadershipworksconference.org website so that you'll be able to check out those talks and see all the different things that are occurring with the Leadership Works organization. If you were not with us, we had as our first speaker, Ken Blanchard, who is one of the top 25 top selling authors of all time on Amazon and a personal friend of ours, Lead Like Jesus, actually helped sponsor the event. Chris, start out giving people a picture of just the heart that he brought and the content that he brought to our audience. Well, in many respects, Ken Blanchard is part of the original vision for this conference because he has been so influential over the last 20 plus years of really defining what servant leadership is. And part of our vision for this organization is that we would build bridges with the business community, the nonprofit community, and the church community. We would come together to prove that leadership works, to bring Ken in. And allow Ken to kick off this conference was just the perfect fit because he is a legend in leadership circles, but he also just represents the heartbeat of servant leadership. He embodies that in such a remarkable way, really in so many ways through his stories and through these leadership principles, we really were able to just get this unbelievable picture of what servant leadership is right out of the box. One of the things that I took away from his particular talk, this idea of changing our love of power to the power of love. So often in our culture, we think that power is going to be the solution. And really, he's changing that whole paradigm, just as Jesus changed that whole paradigm to go, it is not to be served, it is to serve. And it is so it is not this love of power, but what if we can change that and show the power of love. So frequently people, when they climb the ladder in their organization, if you're not careful, they climb the ladder with each step on that ladder, they accumulate some power and they begin to think about all the people that can serve them as they climb the ladder. But when you are a servant leader, it's just the opposite. As a servant leader, what you're doing is you're climbing the ladder, not so that you can be served, but rather so that you can serve. What Ken talked about is you flip the pyramid upside down. And when you do that, you really see yourself not as a leader first, but as a servant who leads. And when you are a servant who leads, then in the world of leadership, leadership is not about what you gain from being a leader. It's not just about the rewards. It's not just about the benefits that come with leadership but rather it's about what you can give away and it's how you can make others better. So when he talked about, is it the power of love or the love of power? That is such a powerful way to express and to flip that paradigm so that we begin to see 
that it's really the power of love that is the difference maker in all of our leadership. Sometimes people hear the word servant and they think, oh, that's the lesser role. And really, that is not true, that whether you are a servant or not is not based on your title. You can be a servant whether you are a student in a classroom or whether you are the CEO of an organization. And I loved one of the things that Ken mentioned was, you know, there's nothing wrong with status unless it becomes your significance. And that really is something that I would encourage every person out there. And and you might be listening to this and think, I want to be a leader. I listen to podcasts on leadership because one day I hope that I have leadership opportunities. Well, we are all leaders. Everybody, we influence people around us, whether we have the title or not. But to know wherever you are on that journey, that that is a, a litmus test to figure out, does your status, is that your significance? Because if so, then you really need to take a step back because it's really hard to be a servant leader when that's where you're finding your identity. You know, because our self-worth should be found in who we are, not just what we do. If it becomes your significance, then all of a sudden you're misplacing your self-worth. It's essential for us to have identity as a servant leader. The conference was a value-driven conference, and we are trying to build those bridges to the business community, nonprofit, and church. But the rest of this organization is faith-driven. And so in this podcast, we'll talk about that faith component, and we'll talk about the fact that the greatest servant leader in history is the person of Jesus. And so we have to find our identity as a man or woman of God. And when we find our identity in him, then what we're able to do is we're able to serve him and serve others in such a way that now, instead of our status becoming our significance, our status is actually something that we just choose to be a good steward of. We use our status as an opportunity to serve others, and we use our status as an opportunity to get more done and to get more done faster. You and I will fall short of the humor that Ken Blanchard is able to use as he tells some terrific stories along the way. I loved the picture that he created about how sometimes if we're not careful as a leader, we're not empowering the other people in our organization. And they just kind of give the status line. And it's, I didn't write the policy. and It's not my rule. And you need to talk to my boss. And he does it obviously in a terrifically comical way that you get a lot of quack from the ducks, but how if we can allow people that work for us or work with us to be able to bring their brains to work and to be able to understand that God has put us in a place where all of us have gifts. And as a leader, you don't have to be intimidated by those. You can actually use them to help your entire organization. And when we think about that illustration where he talks about the duck or the eagle, are you going to just quack, quack, quack and just pass people along to someone else that's higher up the hierarchy? Or are you going to be someone that can take charge, like you said, think for yourself, and then take control of the situation and have complete and total confidence that you're going to go above and beyond to meet the needs of the customer? So in this particular way, the thing that I would encourage us to think about as a leader, when someone is working for you, did you hire them for their hands and feet or did you hire them for their heart and head? And people feel less valued when you don't value their heart and their head. You want to empower their thinking 
then you want to value them in such a way that they feel you as a servant leader care about them, love them. And so there's the heart component. So when we do that, if we just look at people for their hands and their feet, then maybe we send them off quacking. But if we begin to really say, no, we have great, competent, loyal, incredible people working for us and that I can empower the way that person thinks and I can empower the way that person feels, then I can trust them to be an eagle instead of a duck. Go study Chick-fil-A. They have elevated fast food restaurant and they have elevated the way they make their employees feel. They feel so much more valued and respected and honored and empowered than maybe some other organizations do where they work there. So they would be a good example of embodying that principle. Well, and I think it goes to say this is something that can apply to your family, to a very small workforce. If it's you and a couple other people, you don't have to be a multi-billion dollar organization to really put these principles into play, to allow the leadership culture to change in such a way that as a servant leader, you are making a difference in allowing your employees to come and use their brains when they're at work. Chris, I know that there's so much more to say, and we hope that they will be able to go to the website and get the full exposure and experience of Ken, maybe we could turn the tide a little bit to our second session. We had the privilege of having Mick Euclea with us. Mick is just such a fascinating and intelligent man. We have enjoyed getting to know him over the last couple of years. He really specializes in studying the millennials. First and foremost, I would say Mick is an incredible researcher. I would encourage you not only to listen to this podcast, but one of the things that we're going to do on our website is we'll send out his notes about millennials, but also he has a book called Managing the Millennials. So I encourage you to pick that book up. But one of his opening statements and the thing that I think is a principle that carries across every form of leadership, but applies especially when it comes to millennials. He said this, people see danger where there are only differences. People see danger where there are only differences. And so just because a generation has some different qualities, some different strengths and different weaknesses than a previous generation does not mean that that is dangerous, but rather it means they're simply different. And so he began to flip our paradigm Instead of looking at the millennial generation as the entitled generation, and we've heard a lot of people say that and only highlight maybe some of the weaknesses or negatives of a generation. And by the way, all generations have their weaknesses. All of us have our negatives. But he began to give us the ability to see what the positives were and to remove that lens of thinking, oh, this is dangerous for the future of the workplace, but rather saying, no, what are their strengths and how will they improve and accelerate productivity in the workplace? This is something that I found fascinating on many levels, but also it was a real reality check that if you are in a position of leadership and maybe you are in one of the older generations, maybe you're a Gen Xer like you and I are, or maybe you're a little bit older than Chris and I and you'd be a boomer, those generations, if they are in leadership, 
you need to. It is not an option. You're not going to be able to work around and avoid the millennial generation in the workplace, but to really learn and be able to take the things that they can bring to an organization and help them be effective there. One of the things that Mick talked about is actually reverse mentoring. There are certain strengths that the builders or the boomers, the Xers might have that they can mentor the millennials into those strengths and into the things that have been well-established into the workplace. But the millennial generation, he talked about they are the digital world is kind of their native language. You know, it's their first language. And there are so many things in the world of technology that just they are intuitive with. They've grown up with it. This is the first generation that was born with an iPhone. And there is reverse mentoring. There are ways that we can learn certain levels of efficiency from the millennials. There are certain ways that we can learn technology, how to do things. And there's certain certain levels of branding and awareness that is a reverse mentoring. So millennials really, really value relationships. And oftentimes that's because unfortunately with some of the breakdown of the family, it's a generation that's grown up where there's been more divorce in the home. There's been more single parents and there's been maybe less nurturing or mentoring along the way. And there is a real hunger and a desire for significant and meaningful relationships. And mentoring is at an all time high as far as what they are desiring and requesting. So it's essential for the previous generations to not label them, but rather to say, wow, this can be a win-win relationship and I can receive just as much as I can give in that relationship. So we really need to change our perspective and really begin to value who the millennials are and see what they can give to us, not just what we can give to them. I think a couple key terms that Mick gave just describing the millennials, they will be the most ethnically diverse generation that we have ever had. You mentioned that their native language is digital. They have grown up with the iPad and I see now, you know, toddlers that are two and three playing games on phones that never would. They can use the phone before they can even talk. How about that? That's pretty crazy. You mentioned also just kind of the parenting shift that a lot of time he uses the term parenting, P-E-E-R, not parenting. If you were to ask a millennial their top five closest relationships, often a parent is in that top five. And that would be something new for this particular generation that in previous generations, you wouldn't count your parent in the top five, 10 or 20 because they were your parent, not a friend. They also were going to come at it having participated in decision-making a lot of times, even in their homes. And I know we referenced, I think, on a previous podcast that it's the generation where you get your family together and you let everybody decide where they want to go eat. Why did we ever do that? I don't know. (laughs) I think there's something we can learn from the boomers. Yeah, so just future word to all parents out there, when it comes to vacation, don't ask for their input. Just take them on vacation. That's right. Vacations, (laughs) restaurants, you name it. Sometimes less opinions are really better. But that brings them into the the workforce expecting to participate. When they run up against somebody who expects for them to come and be quiet and sit and not speak until they're spoken to and not make any contribution until they've been there a while, 
that's foreign to a millennial. And so just to kind of give that as the backdrop of what that generation looks like. An example of this also, maybe one that he mentioned as well, at High Point Church, we have a lot of millennials on our staff. Instead of the traditional work hours, though we have those, we really give a lot of flexibility as to where and when people get their work done because there's this blended work and lifestyle that goes on nowadays that when we have our phones with us 24-7 and we are in full contact with the world through email and text messages and basically we are walking around with a computer in our hands, a lot of times that allows for a different flexibility than existed in the past. And we actually do, whether it's written or unwritten, we kind of expect people to work outside of the work hours. So because of that, we've got to give some flexibility as to what happens in the work hours as well. So it's really more about output than it is input. You really want to measure their results. You want to hire qualified and quality enough people that they just get the job done. And you're not necessarily micromanaging how they get it done. You're trusting that they're responsible. And with that responsibility, what's going to happen is they're going to get it done before the work hours, during the work hours, after the work hours. And there's this work-life blend. Chris, he gave a couple of different pointers. If you are in the workplace with a millennial, how do you make the most of it? And how do you accentuate the positive and then coach them through the areas that maybe need to be adjusted when they come into the work environment? One of them that he mentioned was the importance that what they are accomplishing, that they see that it matters. Speak to that in terms of this particular generation and why that might be different. When you think about this generation, social justice is really, really a hot topic. So a lot of times they want to not just know that the company made a profit, but they want to know what are ways that this company is invested in their local community? What are the ways that we come together for a greater good? So there are times that what we have to do is we have to communicate. We're not just selling product. But we're providing a service. And when we provide that service, it's a service that is providing jobs, improving the economy. Then we're providing this teaching of servant leadership. We say we want to go beyond just providing for ourselves, but we want to have this social awareness and social justice that we are involved in corporately together so that we can make what we do matter. And they just want something more than the title and something more than the profit at the end of the day. Profit itself for them personally isn't as much of a motivator for some millennials. This is true with every generation. The man that's working on an assembly line, he wants to know his job, his widget has a greater purpose, that he's not just standing there making the same object each day, but it has a purpose in a greater perspective. And that's where Truett Cathy, founder and owner of Chick-fil-A, one of my favorite quotes by him, if we get better, we'll get bigger. So there's this internal quality that drives profit. Now, when we make more money, we have more profit. If we have a servant leadership, then we now have more resources to do more good for other people in the world of social justice, to make a difference, to make it matter. So it is also very, very important for the millennials to understand the connection between a financial profit 
and the profit that we can do in people's lives. All of that works together, profit plus people. And when we do that, we make it matter. I look forward to, in our second podcast, being able to round this out and talk about our final two guest speakers for the Leadership Works Conference. I hope this has whet your appetite and that you will head on over to the leadershipworksconference.org website. Check out the full spectrum of the speakers. It was a terrific event and look forward to seeing how the Lord uses it. You can follow Karen at Karen Conley on Twitter, K-A-R-I-N. Conley is C-O-N-L. E-E, and you can follow me at Chris Conley on Twitter. We will look forward to joining you for this next podcast, and you can go to leadershipworksconference.org to check out more of these talks and other resources coming to you soon. Thank you. Thank you.